Well, church, it's my honor to ask you to take your Bibles out and turn to the book of First Thessalonians this morning, and uh, we're going to resume our study of this wonderful little book. First uh, Thessalonians will be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 986, 986, and uh, while you're uh, finding your way there, I, I do want to let you know that uh, this morning is a a special service for us. I don't know if you've noticed in the bulletin that you received when you came in that following the sermon this morning, we have the great honor to be part of the ordination of our dear brother Iman Lolas. And I know this will be a powerful time in Iman's life and Mary and the entire family, certainly a, a powerful time in the life of this church as we have this great honor. And so uh, in, in a little bit, we'll look forward to hearing a brief pastoral charge from Pastor Matt Wilmington, all the way from Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg. And so, Pastor Matt, once, once we're done singing, you come on up and um, you give us what God has laid upon your heart, or give Iman, I should say, what God has laid upon your heart, and I trust that will be a great blessing. It's wonderful to be part of a church, by the way, that, that's active in, in ministry and supporting missions like Iman uh, and his uh, ministry at the Hope Community Center. It's also exciting to think we right now have a team in Ghana, Africa, in support of our church plant, Hope Community Baptist Church. It's also exciting to think we have a team returning from Eagle Butte, South Dakota, who spent this last week discipling 18 um, uh, young Indian children, taking them off the reservation, which is, if you've been there, is just full of, um, well, like many places, full of sin, I'm afraid, and to get them away and to love on them and teach them God's word. It's exciting to realize all week, uh, over 60 of you, I imagine, uh, served over 200 children that were here for our VBS. And so um, perhaps that's why we're all exhausted this morning, right? Um, and uh, I don't know, I, just, I, I think about what's going on in the church, and it thrills my soul. And I'm excited to be part of this church, and this is where you respond. Oh, come on, people. Wake up. All right? I'm thrilled to be part of this church. Amen. Praise God. And so we're excited to see what God is doing not only in us, but through us. We want to be instruments in the hands of God to spread the fame of King Jesus and establish his kingdom both here and far. And to the degree in which we are obedient to God's call upon us as a people of God, of a local church, I think we'll experience the blessings of God and the transformation which he promises us. And so we're excited for what God is doing. Um, it is uh, with sadness, I say, however, as I transition to say, I, I think this is Rachel Starr's last Sunday. Rachel, are you here? Next week. Okay, well, um, I'm going to say goodbye now since I've already started, if that's okay. Um, Rachel's going to come next week, but uh, dear sister, we love you, and we just praise God for the, what is it, six years or so that you've been here, about the same time I've been here, and um, we, we thank you for all the service that you've done, and uh, we are going to miss you in New Jersey. Godspeed to you, sister, and we trust God will continue to use you. So if you have an opportunity uh, this week, next week, have a chance to let Rachel know how much you appreciate her. Well, here we are now in 1 Thessalonians, considering the Word of God, which of course we likewise appreciate. We'll begin in verse 13. Hear now the Word of God. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, 
the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word, which we now can continue to study. I'm thankful uh, even this morning to be back in the pulpit after almost a month away. I thank you that I get to preach today. And I get to preach your very word. And that we all as Hamilton Baptist Church get to hear from our God that you thought, even as our brother John has reminded us already this morning, you thought enough of us, that you love us enough, that you would preserve for us your revelation. That we might know our God and that we might obey him. That is our desire. Even today, that through the preaching of your word, that we might come to know our God better, And that we might leave here, by your grace, more conformed to the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the often uh, told story of the trial of Martin Luther in the year 1521 at the Diet of Worms might be helpful to introduce us to this passage. You remember it was Luther uh, who in 1517 really rediscovered the gospel, rediscovered that we are saved by faith alone through grace alone. And it's this he had begun to teach all who could hear, and four years later he was put on trial, and presiding over the trial was none less than the Holy Roman Emperor himself, Charles V, who held the power to put Luther to death. And if he chose to put Luther to death, the death, by the way, most likely would take the place of a, of a public burning alive. And so there Luther was on trial. John Eck, the Archbishop of Tyre, being the prosecutor, asked him famously, Martin Luther, do you recant of the heresies in your writings? Do you defend them all or do you care to reject? At this, everyone seemed to be surprised that the bombastic monk of Germany wavered a bit. In fact, he is, uh, his answer was very quiet. If you know anything about Luther, he was never quiet a man, but he murmured, this touches God and his word. This affects the salvation of the souls. Of this Christ has said, he who denies me before men, him I will deny before the Father. To say too little or too much will be dangerous. I beg you, give me time to think it over. Eck and the whole assembly was amazed that he needed time to consider, and so they gave him the evening. That that night, all Luther's colleagues gathered together in earnest prayer throughout the night. They slept not as they intercede for their dear brother that he might be strengthened by God. When the sun rose, a larger hall was chosen. It was so packed that none could sit except the Holy Roman Emperor himself, 
Again, Eck took the role of the prosecutor. He spoke long and eloquently, finally concluding in the flickering candlelight with this statement, I ask you, Martin, answer candidly without horns. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the airs which they contain? Luther's response has gone down in history. For he said, since then your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. God help me. Amen. My question for you is what enables a man to stand with such conviction before so dire a threat and in fact the world's highest authorities. How can one have such, such strength and such boldness and such conviction at such time? Well, I wonder if Paul helps us understand that question there in our passage in verse 13, when he says of the Thessalonians, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. I think this, by the way, what, what is this? What is this book? Is this the word of man or is this the word of God? That is the question that every generation must answer. What will we think of Scripture? What will we think of the gospel? The question, this question, the Thessalonians unequivocally answered as they hold this to this scripture, not to be the, the word of men, but the very word of God. In fact, Paul, we already saw this back in chapter 1, did we not? For he said it there in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in words, it did come in words, but not only in words, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, he says. The gospel had given them life. The gospel had given them salvation. The gospel had revealed to them truth. And therefore, despite their smallness and despite their insignificance and despite their suffering, this small little church, maybe a year old in Macedonia, is impacting the world for Christ because they treasured the word of God. Do you? That's the question for you this morning. Do you treasure the word of God? My hope today is that through God's grace and the preaching of his word, we would leave this place more in love with the scripture in which he has given it to us. I think John was right when he called it God's love letter to us, that we would savor the Bible, like the psalmist says, like honey, and that we would desire it like fine gold. My prayer this morning is that our teenagers here, even as I spoke to my teens last night, would cherish the Bible more than music and video games and television. My prayer is that adults here would cherish the Bible more than box scores and and vacations and daily news and Facebook. 
My prayer is that we would have an increasing passion for the Word of God, that we would be further committed to memorizing the Word of God, that we would delight in meditating on the Word of God. My prayer for you, Pastor Iman, is that you would always be committed to the faithful explanation and application of Scripture. And the Thessalonians indeed are an example to us, for they welcomed the Word of God, they were transformed by the Word of God, and they suffered for the Word of God. That will be our outline this morning as we think about the role of God's Word in our lives. We see, first of all, they welcome the Word of God. For he says there in verse 13, does he not? And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us. Okay, so Paul says, you, I, I came and I spoke, I gave you the Word of God, you received that. Please understand, when he arrived in Thessalonica, Paul didn't come with philosophical musings. He didn't come with self-help tips. He didn't, he didn't come with therapy for them. He didn't, he didn't come with dramas. He didn't come with a light show and a rocking praise band, right? He came, what did he come with? He came with the Word of God. He said, that's what I brought you. And uh, despite all the modern thoughts today on how to grow a church and how to see people's lives change, Paul had the silly idea that God's word was sufficient. In fact, if you'll allow me just to look back in Acts 17, we looked at this when we started the book, but I, I just want to remind you what Paul did when he showed up in Thessalonica. He showed up, he went to the synagogue, and we read in verse 2 of Acts 17, and Paul went in. As was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, listen, what did he do? He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Right? He opened the Bible. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, doing what? Verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So it was Christ-centered, gospel-focused, scriptural exposition. That's what he did. He showed up and God said, I'm going to put a church there. I'm going to plant a church there because he brought the word of God. He said, you heard it from us, which I think is extraordinary, even as I preach it this morning. And, And some of you, didn't you? You taught the Bible this morning, didn't you? Sunday school teachers, moms and dads, you gather your children in the living room around the dining room table, and what do you do? You give them the Word of God. My, my brother Iman, when you preach, you will be giving people to the degree in which we all are faithful to the explanation and application of God's Word. People will be hearing the Word of God. Is this not what Paul meant when he wrote in Romans 10? How can they believe him who they have not heard? Well, How are they going to hear him? He goes on and says, how will they hear without someone preaching? He summarizes in verse 17, saying, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do they hear the word of Christ? It's through us. Just like Paul says, you heard it from me, and we continue that. Christ is being heard when the gospel is spoken. In fact, Jesus said famously in John 10, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to what? My voice. Right? The other sheep, by the way, are you and I, if we're in Christ. And I trust many, many others. So how do we hear his voice? How do others hear his voice? He is in heaven. 
Well, they hear his voice when we share the gospel, when we teach the scripture. God speaks through us. The word of God is heard from us, just as it was Paul and Silas and Timothy long ago. They brought them the word. And notice how the Thessalonians responded there. In verse 13, you see two words that are important for us. There it says, you receive the word of God, but notice what else? Which you heard from us. And you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God. You see, they received it, and they accepted it. They, they, they not only heard it, they welcomed it. Right? That's, those are not synonyms, receive and accept. Receive is, is objective, it's to take in. You might receive a gift, right? And to the degree in which you're all listening to me right now, you are receiving the word of God, but are you accepting it? Are you welcoming it? Are you agreeing with it? Are you embracing with it? Right? You can receive a punch in the face without, uh, without accepting it. Right? You can receive that. But do you embrace it? Is it becoming true to you? That's what was happening there. As it happened in a Chinese man named Zhao Hu was living in Germany with his wife, Kristen. Zhao was a Buddhist. Christian was an avowed atheist. And it came time for Zhao's birthday, and since he's in Germany, she wanted to give him a special gift, so she went to a bookstore to look for a book written in Chinese. The only book that she could writ- find written in Chinese was a Bible. She wasn't real happy about buying a Bible for her Buddhist husband, but she did so anyways, and he wasn't excited about receiving a Bible. But his longing for his native tongue grew, and so he began to read it. He began to, if you will, receive it. And it's not long after that he welcomed it. He accepted it. He became a follower of Christ, much to the dismay of his atheistic wife, Kristen, who brought much conflict in the house. In fact, she says, I need to start reading this in order to refute my now, my former Buddhist, now Christian husband. And she began to receive it. And soon after receiving it, she began to accept it as well. She embraced it and became a follower of Christ as well. Just as the Thessalonians have, and I trust many of us have, you accepted it, he says, what? Not as the word of men, but as the word of God. You welcome it into your life like a thirst-quenching water, like a satisfying bread of life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God ought to be more precious to us than your job. It ought to be more precious to you than your portfolio. It ought to be more precious to you than your sports team. And that preciousness ought to be evident in your life. You ought to be speaking of it. Right? It ought to be on your lips. Someone asks you, how was your weekend? Instead of talking about the weather or the golf game you had or whatever, would you ever say, you know, uh, it's funny to ask. I was, I was reading in, in Matthew 9, for instance, and Jesus says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I've just been thinking about that all week. What does it mean to be merciful? You speak of the word of God. Is it on your lips? It ought to be if we are to accept it. We ought to share it. Right? I don't know if you saw that wonderful movie, Dunkirk. It's not often I could call a movie wonderful these days, but this one was. It was, came out in 2017. Did you see that movie? It's a story, historical kind of um, dramatization of an event that happened in World War II when Hitler marched his forces across France and uh, he demanded the unconditional surrender of the Allied forces in Europe and thousands, hundreds of thousands of British and French troops dug in uh, for one last stand along the coast of northern France in a little 
village called Dunkirk as a last-ditch effort to hold off the Germans. But they were overmatched, and they were, they were outgunned, and they were trapped there on the, on the beach, and they knew unless a miracle happened, they would be obliterated by the Nazis. And so the British soldiers began to send a message across the English Channel back to England. This, this part the movie doesn't include, surprise. Um, and the, the message was three words. They sent three words back to England. And if not. And if not. You think, what, is this some kind of code? Is this some, some kind of secret message? No. It's a quote from Scripture. It's a quote from the event when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before a pagan king and his fiery furnace. And when they said, our God is able to save us, and if not, we will remain faithful to him anyway. What they were saying is, we're going to make our last stand here. We're hoping for deliverance. And if that does not come, then we will remain faithful to death anyway. And as, as unbelievable as that sounds today, they got the message. Right? Would we? Right? They understood what was going on. And, of course, the movie shows how, they, how the days followed fishing boats and yachts and rowboats went across the English Channel and rescued over 300,000 allied forces. I think our generation would never have got the message. I don't know if the Bible is saturated in our lives. I don't know if we welcomed it like, like perhaps the Thessalonians were. I mean, consider, for example, what's happening even right now, this preaching event, right? When you come, let me just help you. When you come and you listen to preaching, you don't listen to preaching like you watch a movie, like like a movie Dunkirk. You're not a spectator here. You're not passively receiving, and therefore, you don't leave like you leave in a theater. I always give a movie a grade. You know, that was a B plus, right? I don't want a grade today from you, okay? You know, what was your favorite part? What did you like? What didn't you like? You leave, and the question should be, did I hear God? And what will I do about it? You, you, ought to be, you ought to be like Samuel of old. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Right? I, I remember when, when Peter was summoned by the Holy Spirit to go preach to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, the Gentile Cornelius. And, and Cornelius knows he's coming because the Holy Spirit told him. And so he fills his house with as many people as he can. And Peter shows up to preach to him. And now the house is full. And before Peter is able to preach, Cornelius stops him. And he says, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. In other words, he says, tell us what God has said so that we might believe it and we might obey it. That is how we are to approach preaching. That is how we approach the word of God. I want to hear from God so that I might believe his word and it might transform and impact my life. This is how the Thessalonians have welcomed the word of God. Um, And you know how. You You know why they were able to embrace it. Look what Paul says there in verse 13. And he says, when we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what is it really is, the word of God. I just want you to note the, very, the way he begins that, that verse. He says, we're thanking God constantly for this. Right? We, we thank God. You see, what, what, what's happened in order for them to accept this is God has opened their hearts and their minds to receive the word of God. Right? Because Paul will preach I asked my kids this last night. When Paul preaches, does everybody accept what he says? No. 
Some stone him, some shun him, some mock him, and some believe him, and some, some accept. So what accounts for the difference? Why do some reject him, and why do some welcome what he says? Well, this is what he knows how he begins his verse. We are thanking God that you accepted the word of God. When Paul recounts what happened in Thessalonica, when that they heard his preaching, not as the word of men, but as the word of God, he says, thank you, God. Not well done, Thessalonians. Way to go, guys. You figured it out. No, he says, thank you, God. Thank you they didn't stone me. Thank you they didn't shun me. Thank you they didn't scorn me. But they believed. Now, why would you thank God for that? Unless this is what God does. It was Mark, even, this morning, he, he reminded us of that great confession of uh, Simon Peter in Matthew chapter 16, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus says in response, good job, Peter. Wow, you're, you're the bright one, aren't you? No, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, you're blessed because God has shown you this to be true. As one preacher put it, God enabled Peter to see that the human person, Jesus, was more than human. He was divine. And God enabled the Thessalonians to see that the human words of Paul were more than humans, but they were divine words. I'm telling you this morning, if you are a Christian today, if you have accepted this and welcomed this into your life, there ought to be a deep gratitude in your heart. You ought to be thinking, I believe, thank you, God. Because so many don't believe. And my friends, that is not your work, but it is a work of God. I mean, I mean, think about what we do on Sundays. I mean, the world thinks what's happening right now is ludicrous. Who wants to come and listen to a 58-minute message right, on an ancient text? And who wants that? I mean, for Pete's sake, what, May, we went through Zephaniah together. Three weeks of Zephaniah. Who wants to come and do that? In the flesh, you don't. But some of you love it. Not everybody, but some of you. You're like, yes, give me more. Why? Because God has worked that in your heart. Right? You think it's because I'm such a great preacher? Right? I'm giving you a pause there, okay? I'm not hearing anything, right? Okay. <laughs> no, of course not. We all testify to that. It's because of what God has done in us. There should be a deep gratitude in your heart today. I love the gospel. I believe the scripture. The Bible is precious to me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God has opened your eyes. God has overcome your resistance. And to God belongs the glory even for that. To God belongs all glory, even the glory of you seeing his glory revealed in God's word. So you think what has to happen on Sunday mornings, man? It's not just the same old thing every Sunday that we've been doing for 130 years here at Hamilton Baptist Church. You know what has to happen? God has to come and work in our lives because left to ourselves, we're not going to see the word of God as worthy of our embrace and our acceptance. Left to ourselves, we're just going to think this is another religious opinion. And so we ought to pray. We ought to walk into this room praying. We ought to begin praying perhaps Saturday night. God, open my eyes tomorrow that I might behold wonderful things from your law because it is wonderful. But so often we miss it. We miss the wonder. We ought to say, God, I don't want to miss the wonder. If I'm just left to myself, it'll just go in one ear, out the other, and I won't see the glory of my God and my Savior. Help me.
help me. Even as Paul would write in 2 Thessalonians, pray for us that the word of the Lord may be honored. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may be honored. You ought to pray for the ministry of the word in this church. You ought to pray for our brother Iman. You ought to pray for Paul in, at Hope Community Baptist Church in Ensuam, Ghana. You ought to pray for churches around. You ought to pray for Thomas Road Baptist Church that God's word would be honored. They welcomed the word of God. Secondly, they were transformed by the word of God. It was making a deep impact in them, wasn't it? For he says there at the end of verse 13, you'll note, the word of God which is at work in you, brothers. He says it's working in you. That, that phrase work is the Greek word energo, where we get the English word energize. And so he says the word of God is energizing you. The word of God is empowering you. The word of God is living and active within them. And what we're learning from Paul is that if you welcome the word of God, it will change you. And, and we've, of course, we've already seen the incredible transformation back in chapter 1, didn't we? Remember, Paul says, you know, I'm blown away by your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. You're proclaiming the gospel. You're modeling the gospel to all the believers in Macedonia. Remember he said that? You've turned from idols. You're waiting for Jesus. You're serving all, all along. And in the midst of all this, you're suffering with great joy. Because the word is transforming you. The word of God is at work in you. My question for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is the word of God at work in you? Is it working in you? Are you living in its power? Are you experiencing its energy? The Lord promised through Isaiah long ago, didn't he? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout... So shall my word be. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God is saying through the prophet, as the rain comes and brings life and fruitfulness on this earth, so God's word will come into our lives and bring what? Life and fruitfulness. And I think this is to be perhaps one of the greatest weaknesses in the church today, especially the American church, the Western evangelical church, is there is a chasm, sometimes a great chasm, between what we say we believe about the Bible and how often we consider it and apply it in our lives. You say, I love the Bible, Pastor. I believe the Bible, the Word of God. But what's on TV? How did the team do last night? You see, if if the Bible is going to transform us, we need to read it. And dare I say, you're not going to like me for saying it, but I'm going to say it anyways, we need to memorize it. We need to meditate on it. We need to minister with it. And, And I say this with love in my heart, this is not a game. If you think you're going to live the triumphant Christ-like life without the Word of God guiding and ministering you because you have studied it, considered it, and hidden it away in your heart, you're fooling yourself. It is the Word of God. I don't know how else to say it. Why is it that we believe that and yet so often neglect even considering it? And how many here, and I'm not thinking of anybody uh, specifically, but how many here are caught in this cycle of sin where you sin and then 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 you get all guilty and then you confess and then you repent and then a week later, what do you do when you're, you're sin and, and, and guilt and confess and repent? And the cycle goes all over. It's like the judges, just sin, guilt, repent, sin, guilt, repent, right? How are you going to break out of that cycle? How 
are you going to have victory? Well, the Bible tells us, Psalm 119, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. My friends, the Bible will either keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. You get to choose. You want to experience a transformation of the word of God. One of the ways in which it will transform you is it will keep you away from sin if you saturate your hearts and your minds with the word of God. How did Jesus defeat sin when he was tempted by our enemy in the wilderness? How did he defeat sin? It's the word of God. Right? And, and by the way, did he have it out there and devils came with his temptation? He says, hold on a second. Let me look it up. No, it was in his heart. He had already put it in there. He came with the word of God against his adversary. It was in his mind. And I'm telling you, if the son of God needed the word of God to fight off the enemy of God, how are you going to deal with him? How are you going to deal with him? That's why so many of you aren't. You just give in. You just give in to temptation over and over because you're not using what God has given you. And I hope this is not too... Um, too personal, but I, for instance, I don't know how many times God brings to my mind, it's, it's, it's weekly, if not daily, for instance, Matthew 5, 28, when Jesus says, I tell you, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I, I hear that almost every time I turn on the television. And my prayers immediately in my heart, God, I don't want to be an adulterer. Help me. But how would he speak to me if that wasn't already in my heart? How would he guide me and, and lead me? See, the Bible says in 1 John 2, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You see the connection. The word of God is in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You want to fight Satan you're going to need the word in your heart. But it not only will keep you from sin, it will enable you to minister. You always have opportunities to minister to people, don't you? Right? What, are you what are you going to give them? Right? When people come to you, when you talk to people in your living room, on the phone, you go visit people in the hospital, in your small groups, your emails you're sending, what are you going to give them? How are you going to help your brothers and sisters fight for faith? Right? How are you going to help them through conflict? What are you going to say to the coworker who comes to you and says, I don't know what to do with my teenage daughter. You're going to give them your wisdom? Right? Like the world? I'm not sure, to be perfectly honest, if that's worth much. You know what they need? You know what I need? You know what you need? I need the word of God. When I'm confused, I need the word of God. When I'm arrogant, give me the word of God. When I'm frightened, give me the word of God. When I'm suffering, give me the word of God. When I'm angry, before I respond, please, someone give me the word of God. And one day when I'm dying, do you know what I need when you come visit me in the hospital? I need the word of God. I need it. Right? In all my life, I need it, you need it. I think, as one has said, our mouths are full of ashes without the word of God. We have to put it in our mouth. How does it get in our mouth? By putting it in our minds and in our hearts that we might cherish it. It will enable you to minister. It will keep you from sin. It will thirdly guide you through the day. How many of us read the Bible in the morning, as I've already said, and in one ear it goes and out the other ear, and five minutes later if someone asks you, what did you read in the Bible this today? We would stumble over ourselves to say anything intelligible. 
and it's almost useless. Do not end your Bible reading without latching on to an idea, a verse, a phrase. Write it down in your pocket and, and, and put it in your pocket if you need to. And, and, and just latch on to something you read. And you'll be amazed that you'll begin to think about this throughout the day. And God will use those verses in people's lives in ways you've never imagined. And you'll come home and your, your, your spouse will say, how was your day today, honey? And instead of, you know, complaining about this or this coworker or the traffic there, you, you come to your wife and you say, you know what, honey? I, 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 I read Matthew 14, verse 33, and it, and it says, and those who were in the boat worshipped him and saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And I just thought about what it was like. I was thinking all day what it was like. That worship in the boat. And am I worshiping God? And you have this little impromptu, theological, Christ-honoring conversation with your spouse. Or you come up to your child and you say, you know, how was your day? And she says, well, it's fine. How was your day? And you say, well, I was thinking about Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 when Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be open to you. And I've been thinking about prayer all day, honey. And all of a sudden, you're having this little theological, Christ-honoring um, uh, conversation with your child. And so may I say with, with love in my heart, turn off the TV for God's sake. And put down the phone for my sake and for our sake and for your church's sake. And consider the word of God. Hide it in your heart. It is, as we saw, it is to be more desired than much gold. Do you desire it more than much gold? I'm not saying don't watch TV. I watch TV. I follow, you know, I follow my sports teams. But friends, there has to be a hunger. You know, Jesus says that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So my question for you, what would you rather be, entertained or free? Jesus will pray, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What would you rather be, like Jesus or entertained? Jesus says, even as Cody taught us last month, let my word abide in you and what? Your joy will be full. Do you want to be entertained or have the fullness of joy that Christ promised? Here it is. Embrace it. Let it transform you, and lastly and quickly, we might just have to suffer for it, as the Thessalonians were. For you note verse 14, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So they welcomed the word, they were transformed the word, as a result they began to suffer for the word. Notice the first word in verse 14 is for, for. So he says, end of verse 13, I know the word's working in your life, verse 14, for or because you're now willing to suffer for it. So the evidence that he is seeing that they've welcomed and are transformed is not that it takes away suffering, but that it brings it and that they're actually willing to endure it. In fact, we saw back in chapter 1, they endure it with joy, don't they? And so we, 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 we I think as Americans... Ought to be thankful, by the way, for what, almost 250 years in the history of this nation, I think is unlike any nation of its age, that there has been at no time a government-sponsored persecution of the church. God has protected us. I don't, whether he'll continue to do so, I, I have no idea. 
But we already know now, don't we, that, that following Christ today uh, might mean you lose friends. It might mean you're mocked at the, at, in the classroom or the ball field. It might mean you're skipped over for promotion, like a dear friend of mine who works in social services. He doesn't affirm same-sex marriage. I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? It's going to happen, and I think it's going to increasingly happen. And our response as Christians is we don't despair. We don't look to God and say, what's happening? What's happening is the Christian life is happening. This is what has always happened, right? And we have to be willing to look like a fool at school and miss out on economic opportunities if that's what God calls us to do. That's the Christian life. We don't run from it. We're not the shallow soil that received the word in joy and then received persecution based upon the word and ran away. True faith leads to a transformation that will endure hardships when they come. So the question for us then is, are we willing to endure hardships for our faith, for our commitment to Scripture? That's the normal part of the Christian life, it seems. In fact, Paul says there in verse 14, listen, you're just imitating the other suffering churches. So you, Thessalonica, up here in Macedonia, are being persecuted by your countrymen, just like the the older churches in Judea are being persecuted by their countrymen, the Jews. There he identifies at the end of verse 14. And then he goes on to explain how it is these Judean churches are receiving persecution. See that in verse 15. Who killed, here he accuses the Jews of five sins, doesn't he? Verse 15, who killed both the Lord Jesus, number one, and the prophets, number two, and drove us out, number three, and displeased God, number four, and opposed all mankind. Right? I mean, this is a pretty, pretty um, uh, big list there. He says these Jewish people have done all of this. In fact, many have concluded that First uh, Thessalonians 2, 15 and 16 are, um, in their estimation, the most anti-Semitic verses perhaps in all of Scripture. Right? And they say, but look what Paul's saying. That Paul is saying, listen, they killed the prophets, which of course they did, and killed the Lord Jesus, which of course they did. I mean, it's just stating facts, isn't it? Remember when Herod washed his hands and says, you know, I want no part in this, right? I, I, don't, I don't want, I, I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. In other words, what he's saying to the Jews is, this is what you're doing. You're initiating this. I don't want to kill him. I, you, you, you're, you're stirring all this up, right? Uh, this is what you're doing. And how do they respond? No, no, no. You're part of this too. Remember what they said in Matthew 27? All the people answered, his blood be on us and our, on our children. Then having scourged Jesus, they delivered him up to be crucified. I mean, this is what Paul's saying. They did this. They drove us out, he says. They displeased God. God is very angry with all this. And they oppose all mankind. And why are they opposing mankind there at the end of verse 15? Well, they're doing so in order to limit the advance of the gospel and the spread of the word of God. For we see in verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. They're trying to keep others from salvation. And the world, by the way, continues this work even to this day. The world wants to stop the gospel. It wants to stop the church. It wants to stop people from coming to faith in Christ. They oppose the work of God, and therefore on them, just as on the Jews of Paul's day, we would agree with the end of verse 16, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. That's a pretty bold statement there, isn't it? Especially this idea of filling up the measure of their sins. It seems what Paul is saying is that they are heaping onto the divine scales sin after sin after sin, and it's all noted by God. Just as God, we saw earlier this year, remember in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, I'm not going to give you the promised land for 400 years until the sins of the Amorites reach their fullness. 
Well, the same thing seems to be going on here, doesn't it? That all those sins are noted by God, and once his measure is full, then what happens? Well, we see in the end of verse 16, wrath comes. And we, of course, that happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed, just as Jesus predicted. And so we see all this very kind of strong language from Paul against the Jewish people, but please let us balance it with the rest of what Paul wrote. Paul delighted in his Jewish heritage. Paul was full of sorrow over the Jewish rejection of the Messiah. And Paul would, of course, evangelize to the Jewish people. He would seek their salvation. And he said, well, can God give grace to those who violently oppose the church? Well, yeah. <laughs> Take the author of this book, Paul himself, right? Even what was it? Josh, Pastor Josh reminded us, didn't he, that Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. But if you read on, he says, because I persecuted the church of God. And so the, the thing that he did, the very thing he did, he's now accusing the Jews of doing. He once killed Christians. He once displeased God. He once opposed all mankind. He once lived with the wrath of God upon his head until he met the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And that seems to be our options. You either get grace or judgment. You either get mercy or wrath. This is why God has sent his son into this world, our Lord Jesus Christ. That he would die so that me, an object of his wrath, according to Ephesians 2, would be saved by God's grace because Jesus comes and takes my place. He bears the wrath of God upon himself so I don't have to. And so God's justice is satisfied, and divine wrath is removed, and the curse has been lifted, and the enmity has ended, and sins are forgiven, and guilt is banished, and the righteous, righteousness of God is freely given to us in Jesus. And so God can look upon you now, Christian, and you, non-Christian, if you would respond in a repentant faith, God can look on you just as he did Paul. All of your sins washed away. Can you imagine? Is there no better news? All of your sins against a holy God washed away in the blood of Jesus and you becoming his child forever. I don't know about you, but I, oh, I know of only one hope before a holy God. And that is Jesus has died for my sins and that he rose from the dead. That's our great hope. Do you believe that? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved if you would come to Christ in faith. Our Father, we're thankful even now as we think about this precious treasure before us. Your word. It's precious to us not because it is our God. It is no idol to us. It's precious because it reveals you to us. And shows us how we are to live. It's precious because it is the means by which we might be guided by you. It is the means by which we might minister to one another. It is the means by which we might fight against sin and live a life more conformed to the image of Christ. So let this church not be a people who affirm the value of God's word in their minds but deny it in their actions. Help us to be people committed to seeking you in it, 
Not just through our gathering on Sunday mornings, but in small groups and community groups and Sunday school classes and with our families in the living room and with a cup of coffee all alone with you in the morning that we might hide it, treasure it, and delight in it. Will you not give us a greater delight that we might find greater delight in you? For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.